Hi, this is Derwin James, and you listen to the Chargers Podcast Network. What's up, guys? Chris Harry with you on an NFL Combine edition of Chargers Weekly. We're on location here in Indianapolis. A two-part episode this week. You can probably hear the bench press going on in the background right now. Coming up, the Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner, going to break down some of these quarterbacks. But first, Greg Cassell of NFL Films. We do this every year in Indy. He gives us the lowdown on the 2020 NFL Draft. Greg, it's always a pleasure. How are you? I'm doing great. Another, I think for me, this might be my 21st or 22nd combine. Wow. How's it changed for you? Oh, well, now it's too many, obviously... Too many ways to count. Too many ways, yes. I mean, now it's a big media TV event. It wasn't my first number of years here, so it is really a big event now. Prime time. Yeah, and, and as we tape this, quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends are working out tonight. They're right. doing the drills tonight, which yep. is completely different. kind of throws the schedule off a little past bit. past my bedtime. <laughs> right? Way past my bedtime. <laughs> well, you know what? You're always so generous with your time during this uh, this time of year. Let's just start with the the draft class in general. Your, your overall thoughts, maybe we, we start with the quarterbacks because it's a very intriguing class here, especially in that top 10 range. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Burrow will be the number one pick unless there's a major surprise. And I think that would be based on merit. I, to me, based on film study, I think Burrow is the clear number one quarterback prospect. I think he has every trait you look for with the exception of higher level arm strength. And reasonable people will always disagree about the importance of arm strength for a quarterback. The league has changed. This is a league now where it seems every year the percentage of throws league-wide that are 10 yards or less in the air from the line of scrimmage seems to go up. That, that percentage seems to go up. This is not a downfield passing league. Mm. And Burrow can make all those kinds of throws. He has no issue with that. Arm strength is not a factor. Even deeper throws now, fades are considered deeper throws, and those are not arm strength throws. So to me, Burrow has all the traits you look for in a quarterback coming into the draft. What's the talent gap between guys like Tua, Burrow, Herbert, and then even a guy like Jordan Love? I think there's varying opinions on some of these quarterbacks. Where's the talent gap between those four guys? Well, some's talent and some's more subtleties of the position. Hmm. Uh, I mean, Jordan Love is a big-armed kid. Justin Herbert is a big-armed kid. Uh, So obviously those guys can throw the ball with more velocity and drive the ball more so than both a Joe Burrow or a Tua. Uh, But now you start getting, as I said, into the subtleties of the position. I think Burrow is a master of the subtleties. I think Love is a guy that can work toward that. I would look at, at, at Love as a guy who can be a a rhythmic ball distributor, which is a real positive. I would look at Justin Herbert as as someone who's not that guy. He's more of a a big play guy. To me, Herbert does not play with great timing and great anticipation, and at times can be erratic with his ball placement, but yet he can make wow individual plays. Uh, He's an easy guy to fall in love with because of the size, the arm strength, the ability to make those special individual plays. I think a fascinating guy in this draft is Jacob Beeson from Washington. Mm. He's kind of the pure pocket guy, which then leads into that discussion, and there's no definitive answer to this as to the balance between pocket efficiency and the ability to make those outside-of-structure plays, which have seemingly become much more important in the NFL now. 
Eason, a guy that we don't talk about as much as being in that first round conversation, but he certainly is. And, and like you said, Greg, it's very subjective and it's based on what a team is looking for, what, what their scheme is. And what your worldview of the quarterback position is. Exactly, exactly. And for the Chargers, obviously life without Phillip Rivers starts this year. And yes. A, a guy who, you know, didn't miss a start, probably the the most successful charger in, in the history of the, the franchise. Uh, when you're moving forward, you got a guy like Tyrod Taylor and Easton Stick. As of now. Currently in the building, as <laughs> of now. Um, what do you think the Chargers need to look for based on the personnel that they have with really two talented guys on the outside, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, a guy like Austin Eckler can, can really do everything. And then perhaps if Hunter Henry comes back, one of the best young tight ends in the game. Well, you know what's really interesting to me about what the Chargers have to do is Obviously, we don't know what they're going to do in the draft. We don't know what they're going to do in free agency. Free agency, we'll know in a that's couple of That's the first weeks. domino that needs to right, fall. Right, that's the first domino. So I don't know if they view quarterback as a position they need to address or not. Mm -hmm. uh, they're certainly not going to put up a sign telling us one way or the other. So we won't know until March 14th or March 15th. But assuming they don't take a quarterback, uh, or they don't sign a quarterback in free agency, then you have six more weeks or five more weeks until the draft. Then they're starting the offseason with a quarterback in Tyrod Taylor who is in some ways a polar opposite of Phillip Rivers. So you're almost starting your offseason having to kind of think about installing a different kind of offense or a different, totally different part of your playbook that works with Tyrod Taylor because that's not the same playbook you would use with, with Phillip Rivers or have used with Phillip Rivers. And that makes for an interesting offseason. Uh, so they're a team that will be very interesting to watch to see how all that plays out. You know, adding another layer to that, the fact that Coach Lynn was Tyrod's offensive coordinator in Buffalo, right. they have that familiarity with, with one another. So you're right, perhaps maybe the playbook changes a little bit if Tyrod's under center and we're looking at a completely different offense in 2020 if he's the guy you are, mm -hmm. uh, because his traits are not Phillip Rivers' traits. And I'm not saying anything out of school to say that Phillip Rivers is a better quarterback than Tyrod Taylor. The offense will look different. It will have to look different because you ultimately have to play to some degree to what your quarterback is and what he isn't. Mm -hmm. The Chargers, they go 12-4 and four to 5-11, and 11, yeah. and a variety of things happen. I think the most glaring, the takeaways and the giveaways. They were yes. last or close to last in the league in both categories. Obviously, some injuries to the offensive line. When you lose a guy like Derwin James that early in the year, the energy that he provides, um, that obviously hurt them as well. What do they need to do, independent of just the turnovers, to kind of get back to what they were in 2018? Well, you know, in some ways it just shows you how the league is. There's such a fine line between winning and losing. There's no doubt about that. I mean, that's... Derwin James, to me, is a critical piece for them because I think Derwin James, in some ways, and it also speaks to this draft, is one of those players that has now become critically important, kind of a multi-dimensional sub-player in that he can play three or four or five different positions in sub, be very good at all of them, and he brings an entirely different look to your defense. And my guess is, without having a conversation with Gus Bradley, that much of what Gus Bradley planned on doing last season was very dependent on Derwin James. Yes. And then all of a sudden, that player, and there's not 20 of those kinds of players, that's the thing. You don't just say, okay, we lost him, next man up, we're good. You have to sort of change your approach. 
Uh, and as I said, in the, now we see that in the draft. You, you know, you look at the Isaiah Simmons of the world, the Grant Delpits, the Xavier McKinney coming out of Alabama, players like that who sort of have that multi-skill set, multi-positional versatility ability. But James is really, really good. So I think that's a that was a big, big loss for them on the defensive side of the ball. You flip it to offense, too. We're here at the Combine. We make such a big deal of what's going on here throughout the week. Yet a guy like Austin Eckler slips through the cracks yes. during weeks like this. He, he makes some money on special teams coming out of Western State in Colorado. Now he becomes one of the most versatile backs in the NFL. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can really carry the load. Yeah. Um, what have you seen from Austin Eckler? And what does a guy like that do for an offense? Well, I think Eckler is really a multi-skilled back. Uh, he's a terrific receiver and you can detach him from the formation and he can run wide receiver routes. He can run vertical routes. Uh, he's very good out of the backfield as a receiver. I think he's a good runner. You know, obviously we get caught up now and again, this is another discussion about the value of the running back. We know in, in, with the Chargers, you've got the Melvin Gordon situation. He's now an unrestricted free agent. You know, do they bring him back? Does, what does he think he's going to get on the open market? My guess is he's not going to get what he thinks he should get. And hey, and sometimes that's just the way it is. But, you know, Eckler, I don't think he's a guy you're going to give the ball to 280 times. But on the other hand, I think he can be a really valuable piece of a multi-dimensional offense. Uh, and so then with Eckler, you need another back. So the question is, what kind of back? And there's a lot of good backs in this draft, by the way. Mm. And you can get a back in the second, third, fourth round. That's probably a very solid complementary piece, you know, a back that can carry 80, 90, 100 times and be a valuable piece. Um, but I think Eckler, as just an individual player, is a really, really good player. Your a Coach Lynn spoke to him being just a great tandem back with yes. somebody. So yes. whether that's a Melvin Gordon, whether that's a Justin Jackson from Northwestern, who really had well, some Who, by the games. way, was an interesting player coming out of college. Yeah. He played four years, probably had 1,000 carries, an awful lot of carries for a guy that's not a big, big man. So the question is, how do they see him? And we don't know the answer to that. That's the thing. I mean, do they see Eckler and Jackson as a good enough tandem where they don't need to address the running back position? I guess we won't know that till they draft. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Outside of the quarterback position, Greg, top 10 here. If you take the QBs out of the equation, who are some of these guys? I think you mentioned one of well, them. It's a wide Isaiah receiver Simmons. draft. It's, and it's wide receivers. I want to get to the wide receivers, too, because there's probably – there's probably like 20 guys that are going to be drafted maybe in the first three or four rounds, right? Could be, you know. And wide receivers to me, you know, I always get asked, oh, well, who are your top five? You, to me, you can't make lists because mm -hmm. you can't compare a 6'4 guy to a 5'9 guy. You know, there's so many different ways in which receivers, based on what they are, their size, their skill set, their traits, how they're then going to be used in the NFL. So you can't compare, you know, Michael Pittman at 6'4", 223 out of USC with K.J. Hamler at under 5'9 and 175 pounds out of Penn State. You can't make that comparison. Hamler's a slot guy. Even Justin Jefferson, let's say, out of LSU. Yep. Under, just under 6'2", over 200 pounds, 100 of his 111 catches this past year came out of the slot. So if you view him as a slot guy, he's not the same slot guy as K.J. Hamler at 5'8", and whatever, and 175 pounds. So these kinds of things you have to have as part of the conversation. The problem is they take too long, and people don't want to hear it. So they just want to compare guys and make a list. You can't do that. But you can't do that. Yeah. So, but it's a really good wide receiver class. For me, personally, I think it's Jerry Judy and everybody else. Really? 
that's my, you know, based on film study. Yeah, and then you got like C.D. Lamb and then I Ruggs. I love Henry Ruggs yep. coming out of Alabama as well. I really like T. Higgins out of Clemson. Um, I love Jalen Rieger coming out of TCU, who I think can line up both outside and in the slot. So I think there's a lot of different kinds of receivers. Now, again, it depends on what you're looking for. Defensively, if the charge selected at six, I get I, I, You talked about a guy like Isaiah Simmons, Akuda from Ohio State. He won't be there. He won't be there at six, right? <laughs> He's really a good prospect. And then Simmons, he played five positions Simmons at Clemson. Simmons could be there. Yeah. It could be a fascinating defense with Derwin James and Isaiah Simmons. Could you imagine having Bosa, Simmons, and Derwin on each level of your defense? Perennial all pros on each I mean, level of your defense. And now you get into that sub-defense where Simmons and James are multi-dimensional guys. Uh, that would be fascinating to me. Simmons is a freakish athlete. Yeah. Uh, there'll be reasonable debate as to what he is in a base defense. Some will say a linebacker, some will say a safety. I fall on the safety side, but when you get to your sub, then he's multi-dimensional and can play in a number of different spots. One of the guys that you've studied in this draft that you're really intrigued by, one of your favorite prospects, who could that be? Well, I'll tell you a guy who fascinated me was Grant Delpit, the safety from LSU, because he's 6'3", he's so long, he looks really long on tape. Um, he's another one of those guys with a lot of position versatility, so I'm really curious to see how he's seen by the league and where he gets drafted, and how he sort of fits into this mold that we're talking about of the multi-positional, versatile sub-player. Greg, I feel like I could do this for two hours with you. I always appreciate your time. Um, it, it's always fun to catch up with you in Indy, and uh, you're second to none in this <laughs> category of, the, of, uh, of evaluating players here in the NFL. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Well, it's not every day you get to sit down with a Hall of Famer. The great Kurt Warner joins us on Chargers Weekly. Kurt, welcome to Indy. How you doing? I'm doing well. I don't like the cold weather here, being an Arizona guy, but uh, good thing is I get to stay inside most of the time, so it's all good. A little bit of a shock, right? Yes, this isn't yes. Scottsdale. <laughs> yes, yeah, not Scottsdale at all, no. <laughs> well, Kurt, I think the, uh, the obvious start for the Chargers, Phillip Rivers no longer with the team. Yeah. Chargers select six overall. You never know what's going to happen, but this quarterback class, very intriguing, especially at the top. Uh, without a doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, you want to see how it plays out. I mean, we obviously believe that Joe's probably going to go number one or one of the quarterbacks is going to go number one to Cincinnati. And then, you know, everything gets interesting after that is, uh, you know, people jump up, somebody fall in love with one of these guys, Chargers, you know, same kind of mix, you know. You hear a lot of talk about Tyrod and Tyrod being a starter in this league, and he's had some success in this league. Are they sold on Tyrod, or do they try to jump up and try to get a guy? Do they wait and see? They'll take one if one falls to them, um, you know, and, you know, how many of them do they feel are in that, that mold where they're willing to, to go get them, you know, because I think a lot of people think Joe and Tua are there. Now, is there that next guy? Do you believe if you're the Chargers, there's that next guy that can be that franchise quarterback, that next Phillip Rivers for your organization? Um, and I don't know if that's been determined yet. I think that all kind of starts here at the Combine and the process starts right now. I'm not necessarily saying I'm convinced that there's another guy like that. Um, so it'll be very interesting, but that's the coolest thing is, right? Quarterbacks drive everything in this league. That's right. They drive the combine. They drive the draft. Um, so I'm interested to see how it plays out. And it's rare to be selecting this high and then having quarterbacks potentially available like a, like a Tua, maybe a Justin Herbert, if, if you think Herbert is the franchise. Right. I want to start with, with 
Burrow and Tua, though. What have you seen on film from those guys that you know will slam dunk translate to the NFL? Well, I think when you start with Joe, um, you know, I know the, the big kind of knock is that we've seen one season and one really, really special season, but one season. But when I look at quarterbacks, first I, I look at technique. You know, that I believe that technique translates, that if you have good technique, if you have, you know, good release of the football, if there's consistency and it's compact, that that's stuff that translates, that technique translates no matter what level, no matter where you're playing football, if you know how to throw a football, it can translate. And, and that's what the first thing I like about Joe is that even though he can be kind of a taller quarterback, he's very compact in what he does. And you saw that translate into great accuracy last year. Uh, processing. I think that's the next part of playing the quarterback position is we all fall in love with the big arms and all of that stuff. But you could do a lot of things in this league by having good technique, being an accurate thrower, and being able to process information. I thought Joe did that extremely well last year. They did a lot of five-out stuff. They did a lot of pressure. They you know, put pressure on people with a lot of guys, and he was able to process that and do the right thing with the football. And so those are the two things that kind of jump out at me uh, with Joe. Now we go to Tua. First thing I love about Tua is that I think he's very, very accurate on the short to intermediate stuff. He gets the ball out quick, he sees it, uh, he's good within the RPO game. If that's the nature of how you want to play, he's really good at you know, seeing things and you know, being able to get his feet turned and being accurate with the football. Um, you know, he's had a lot of success. Um, I think he's a great leader. I think we've seen that, the way that he carries himself. And so those are some things to me that jump out uh, about Tua as well. But I think both will translate very well to the next level. Um, but, but again, that doesn't equal greatness all the time because we know there's a lot of pieces that go into a quarterback being great for a long time in the NFL. You know, we just sat down with Matt Bowen. He gave us a very, very interesting comp to Tua. Some guy named Kurt Warner. Okay. Wow. Why do you think Matt Bowen said that? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I would say that, um, you know, again, w what I saw with Tua was that his ability to read, process, and get the ball out quick and accurate um, is probably where he connected us, is that that's one thing that, you know, the more I watch it, I mean, it's just like all that underneath stuff. The ball was out. The ball was right where it needed to be, and he allowed his playmakers to make plays. And that's what I always felt was my greatest strength, was processing, getting the ball out on time, and getting it in a position where my guys could do something with it, um, which is something that, that really stands out about Tua. I think naturally that next tier Jordan Love, Justin Herbert. Uh, what have you seen on film from both those guys? Very different in the sense that, that Love coming from a, a smaller school right. uh, had maybe uh, a few too many interceptions last year in comparison right. to the year before. Yeah. But a guy with a lot of charisma, it looks like he could lead a franchise. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think they're both fascinating. And you start with Jordan Love. And that was the thing is I went back and watched 2019 tape because that was what I had first. And I'm like, uh, nothing's really jumping out at me. I'm not seeing great decisions being made. You know, even though a lot of people were kind of talking highly about him. And so I reached out to some people I knew and I'm like, okay, I'm not seeing it on this tape. And they like, go back to 2018. I went back to 2018 and started watching some of that tape. And then I started to see what they were talking about. He was in a different offense last year. Didn't really seem to fit. He didn't seem to be comfortable in that offense. So go back to 2018 and that's where you start to see the flashes. Okay. I see the processing. I see the athleticism. He obviously can make every throw. He's got that uh, without question. And so he's an intriguing one because, again, 
To me, playing quarterback in the NFL is about consistency. It's about being able to do it game in and game out, year in and year out, um, you know, for 10 or 12 years. That's what you're looking for from a franchise quarterback. So when you give me a quarterback that's had a really good one year and then not so good the next year, and I understand there's lots of changes, that gives me a little bit of concern. Um, but I think that process starts for him right now with the interviews, why that's the case. I think a lot of people were asking Joe that as well. Why weren't you as good two years ago as you were this year? And so people want to know some of that stuff because of consistency. So that's where I would start with Jordan Love. Justin Herbert, um, for me with him is that I'm a guy that believes that when you get to the NFL, you got to do things fast. You got to see things fast. You got to process fast. You got to get the ball out fast. And that was the one thing I saw on tape that worries me a little bit is that nothing really happened fast with Justin Herbert, that everything seemed to take a little bit longer to process and get the ball out instead of just seeing it, ripping it and, you know, getting that ball out quickly. And so that's the one thing that I want to see in this process, you know, see him tonight live, you know, because sometimes the tape can lie to you a little bit when you're just seeing him on a, on a big picture as opposed to seeing him in person. But I want to see the process sped up for him. I want to think, uh, see if he can think the game faster and make those decisions and get the ball out on time. His feet can move faster. And some of those things is where I would go with Justin Herbert on the things I want to see before the draft. And of course, Kurt, you're proof that you don't have to be a first rounder to be a franchise guy, to be a Hall of Fame guy. Are there other quarterbacks in this draft that may not be selected in the first or second round that kind of intrigue you? Yeah, there's guys that intrigue me. Um, you know, again, franchise is a big word, right? You know, elite is a big word. And so it's hard for me, you know, unless you see It's hard those, to translate that you know, right it's, now. It's hard to translate no matter what. But I'm saying unless you see all the pieces to even say, hey, this guy could be. So I'm not sure there's another guy that I say, oh, this guy is going to be the next Tom Brady that's picked in the sixth round and goes on to become that. But a couple guys that intrigue you. Uh, Jacob Eason out of Washington is a guy that intrigues me is I saw some really good things on film. I saw him process things. I saw some, some great throws, special throws on film. I hear a lot of people tell me how good he is athletically, that he might be kind of that wow guy from this combine. So I'm looking forward to see him in person. But again, it was about consistency. He was very up and down and no franchise quarterback's ever gonna be a franchise quarterback if you're up and down, if you're not consistent. Um, you know, another guy is, is, is from out of Georgia that, I'm not sure he's got that top level athletic ability, uh, you know, or skill set to necessarily be a guy that can carry you with his right arm, but he's a guy that seems to be very much in control, to be a good leader, that knows how to win and knows how to play the position. Uh, so another guy that I think could sneak in there and be a good solid, you know, quarterback in this league. Where that's going to make them, whether that's going to mean they're going to be a franchise guy, I don't know. But those are a couple other guys that I got my eye on, want to see in person and see how that translates. Kurt, final thing for you. Obviously, the Chargers, tough year. You win five games. You win 12 the year before. Uh, so many offensive weapons. The, the quarterback position undecided. What do the Chargers need to do in, in 2020 to get back to that team they were just a yeah. couple of years ago? <laughs> Here's the thing, and you guys know this as well as anybody as, as Chargers fans, that the difference sometimes from year to year in this business can be, do you win the close games? Can you find ways to win the close games? And, you know, Chargers two years ago compared to last year. You know, I looked at the Raiders a couple years ago when they got the number two seed, and then the year after that, they were kind of the same way, won five or six games that year. 
And it all came down to they played a bunch of close games. In one year, they found ways to win those games. The next year, they didn't win those games. And I think that's where it starts for the Chargers. We've been saying this for years is we can't figure out how they lose some of the games that they lose because it just doesn't seem possible that they can lose so many different ways in close games. So I think it starts there is no matter whether it's the quarterback or the team as a whole, they've got to find guys that separate themselves in the biggest moments, that make those plays in the biggest moments. Um, because you look at their roster and their roster's talented enough. I mean, that's why they're in so many games, but they need to separate themselves in those moments. And I think that leads itself to the quarterback, is whoever that quarterback is for them, can he be that kind of guy? You know. If it's Tyrod Taylor, what I know about Tyrod is he's been successful, but he hasn't been a guy that's necessarily carried a team with his right arm. So can the Chargers be a team that's that's close and can win games with a guy that, that protects the football, or do they need to find a guy that can make plays for them in those moments uh, to separate them? But that, to me, I, I think is the key. Is I don't think they're a long ways off when I look at roster top to bottom. Sure. But I think this game is about difference makers. It's about everybody's got good talent. Can you find the guys that in the moment, the Derwin Jameses, right? You know, the Keenan Allens, those guys that, hey, we need this play to be made. And they just always seem to make the play. That to me is what makes great teams great consistently is they find those guys and they have guys that you just know. Game's on the line. That guy is going to show up more times than he doesn't show up, and I think that'll be the key for the Chargers moving forward. And that's what makes the next couple of months so much fun with free agency and the draft. You never know what's going to happen. A lot of teams are going to look different. Yeah. Kurt, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you got a role, man. I really appreciate it. No problem. Good to be here. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. We will be back on Friday with part two of our two-part Chargers Weekly here from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Also, an addition of Playmakers with Wendy Nix of ESPN. She joined Haley Elwood. That'll be on the Chargers Podcast Network as well. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, I'm Chris Harry.